This week's episode of Product Launch Rebel features Jim Lamancusa, the founder of a tea beverage company called Kusa Tea. Stay tuned for a great interview when Jim talks about his rapid success and his joys of entrepreneurship, but also his advice and challenge to stay resilient and positive when, at times, business ownership gets lonely and frustrating. Some days you're on a high and, and you feel like you can t- do anything in the world, and then you get a, an email where a good customer turns you down or says you're not selling well, and then you're in the dumps and there's a ton of self-doubt, like maybe I'm not going to be able to make this thing work. So get ready for the roller coaster ride. You have to figure out ways to stay motivated yourself when there are those downtimes. And it, whether it's meditation, whether it's going for a run, going out to dinner with your wife, like everybody else is gonna feed off the energy of the entrepreneur. So I have to constantly remind myself that, you know, no matter what's going on, you gotta put on a happy face or figure out how to get back to a happy face. That doesn't mean not being honest if things aren't going well, but negative energy is never gonna create anything. Negative energy is never gonna create anything. Are you passionate about creating a physical product, something you can touch, feel, or taste, and then get paid for it by those that love what you've created? Well, the Product Launch Rebel podcast is the one for you, where you get insider tips on how to spot an opportunity, manufacture your product, get financing, and achieve the independence you've always dreamed about. It's time to crank it up with your host, product developer, investor, and founder of VentureSuperfly.com, John Benzik. Greetings, Product Launch Rebels, and welcome to the Product Launch Rebel podcast, brought to you by VentureSuperfly.com, where we help double your entrepreneurial courage. Even if you don't know what you're doing, please visit the Venture Superfly website and check out the contact page to join our mailing list. Today, I'm interviewing Jim Lamancusa. He's the founder and CEO of a sensational tea beverage company called Kusa Tea. And according to Kusa Tea, it's the world's first premium instant tea. In fact, I was amazed to learn that Kusa Tea has 21 patents. This will be an interesting interview to learn about Jim's startup journey. To learn more about Jim's company, visit kusatea.com. Hey Jim, thanks for being here. And welcome to the Product Launch Rebel podcast. Thank you, John. It's an honor to be here. Gosh, it's going to be great. Thanks for taking the time. So Jim, within this podcast, there are three segments. The first is called Give Me the Basics, which helps set the context about your company for our listeners. The second part is Let's Get Personal, where we get into some of the more personal topics about what it's like to start a business. And the final part is what I call Tell Me How, where we'll get to the heart of the matter on issues that aspiring entrepreneurs want to know now to help them move forward. Jim, what do you think? Are you ready for some questions? Yeah, sounds great. Fantastic. All right, here we go. Jim, what does the term mean, premium instant tea? What makes your product premium? So our tea tastes, it's an instant tea that will dissolve in water in three seconds, but it tastes exactly like a fresh brewed cup of premium tea. So we've had tea sommeliers uh, test our product and given high, extremely high ratings that there's been no instant tea that... Wait, Jim, what's a tea sommelier? Yeah, good question. So just like in the wine industry, how there's tea or there's wine sommeliers, there's also 
uh, tea sommeliers that are trained. They go through hundreds of hours of tea training. There's a process called cupping where you learn how to taste tea and they use the same, you know, or similar adjectives as you would get with wine tasting. You know, they'll use things like, or terms like grassy or lemony or a deep fruity note, you know, those types of things to um, evaluate your tea. And so they'll give you a score and your score will depend on how high, just like in the wine world, like the higher the score, one through a hundred, the better the wine is. There's the same thing in the tea world. So our teas, actually two of my teas recently won um, silver medals in the global tea championship. So we're beating out fresh brewed, like loose leaf tea and bag teas for taste flavor. Jim, and tell us the story. How did you originally come up with the idea to start Kusa Tea? Sure. So, uh, you know, the story, I think entrepreneurs might be interested in hearing this side of it. So I've been in sales and marketing my entire career, you know, working my way up to VP of sales and marketing with several companies. And in November of 2015, I was laid off, actually. And um, that kind of gave me a lot of soul searching. And I've always wanted to start my own company, but I never had an, the idea you know, I've worked with a lot of small companies and I've seen that if you don't have an innovative idea in the right market with the right business plan behind it, there's very little chance of success. So um, after I got laid off, I had two consulting jobs, so I was fine financially. But in that interim, I was really thinking deeply about what kind of company I might want to start. And I just kind of had my head on a swivel looking for ideas, maybe holes in the marketplace that weren't being filled. And it was that next spring, so this is spring of 2016, I was on a backpacking trip. I spend a lot of time outside traveling and climbing and hiking and skiing. And so I was on this trip and uh, unfortunately, coffee gives me reflux. So I I love tea, but I, I love tea. I've always loved tea, but the fact that um, coffee gave me reflux meant that I never drink coffee. So I'm always drinking tea. So I carry tea bags around with me wherever I go in particular, for sure, on backpacking trips because I want a little bit of caffeine in the morning. And so in the morning, I was sitting around the campfire and all my buddies were breaking out their Starbucks Via, which is an instant coffee packet. You tear it open, mix it with water. You don't have to brew any tea or, or any coffee. There's no coffee grounds to throw away. And I was sitting there with my tea bag and you can't just throw it away in the mountains. You have to actually pack it out. And it's one of the only things in your backpack that's heavier when you're leaving than when you're coming in on a trip. And so I said, well, why has nobody made basically the Starbucks Via but for tea? And so at, after that trip, I went back and did a bunch of internet research and looked for like maybe somebody has done it, but I just haven't found the product yet. And I saw that Lipton and Nest Tea both have instant teas. But when I looked at the ingredient label, it shocked me. It was like sugar, artificial flavorings, artificial preservatives. Tea was the fifth or sixth ingredient down the label. And so it really was like that light bulb moment of I know that I can make it. And that's another point to premium tea is if you look at the back of my ingredient label, it's nothing but tea. No sugar, no preservatives, no flavorings. It's just pure tea and tastes exactly like a fresh brewed cup, but you make it in three seconds. So that was the kind of the beginning of the idea. Jim, did you have any other competing ideas in your head before you chose the tea concept? Yeah, I did have a couple other ideas. I One of the other ones uh, was bone broth because I've found a lot of personal benefit by drinking bone broth, but we always made it at home. And I thought, well, wow, wouldn't it be a great idea to have to be able to have more convenient bone broth in the store? 
And then I did some research on that and I saw that there was already four or five other companies that have, are in the market with it. And so that was like no go. I mean, there's no, I'm not doing anything innovative above and beyond what they were already doing. So that's a recipe for a failure. And Jim, how many retailers do you sell to now? How many doors do you serve and what types of retailers do you sell to? So right now we're in about 500 doors. Uh, I've focused my energy on two industries to start off. So we're in the outdoor industry. Um, so probably the most well-known retailer is REI and we're in REI nationwide. And then the other industry is natural and organic grocery. So we're in another 250, 300 natural retailers, natural and conventional retailers. And there's a bunch of other opportunities for the product like airlines and hospitality and travel, but I haven't even gone after them yet. I'm just trying to stay focused and make sure we have a good velocity wherever we're sold and then kind of build that as a base and grow from there. Which department were you in there at REI? In the food and beverage section. So where you would buy your uh, granola and dehydrated backpackers pantry type food. Um, and there's two instant coffee brands and there's some hot chocolate and we're the only tea. Jim, just to give our listeners some context, how many employees did you have starting your company? I imagine it was just you, but being in the business for a couple of years now, how many employees do you have now? Right now, I'm the, still the only employee. It's an interesting age because there are so many contract companies that you can hire as an entrepreneur um, that instead of hiring a full-time staff member. So I've got seven contract um, roles being filled. So I have an outsourced CFO firm that does all my accounting and books. I have an outsourced CPA firm. I have an outsourced sales management firm, uh, outsourced social media, uh, outsourced PR. And so all of them are a fraction of the cost of what it would be for a full-time employee. And they tend to be very experienced because they're, they've been in the industry for a long time. So um, I, I am hiring my first full-time employee right now. I'm hiring a marketing manager because now the company's really gotten to the point where there's enough work for that person to do and I need the help. But I've been pretty cautious to invest a lot in headcount up front because I wanted to make sure that the revenue was tracking where it needed to be. And it, going through two layoffs myself in the past, I really don't want to bring somebody on and then have to lay them go if we're not meeting budget. Jim, obviously your name being Jim Lamancusa, you chose the name Kusa T, but give us the thought process of how you arrived at that name. Yeah, good question too. So I originally actually chose a name, the name was Good to Go T. And I thought it would kind of tell what the product was. And I did trademark research and there was no consumer packaged goods company named Good to Go. And so I trademarked it and I did my initial round of packaging design with Good to Go Tea. And after I had su submitted the trademark, about two months later, I got a cease and desist letter. And there was there's a restaurant in Atlanta, Georgia, that sells a jug of pre-brewed iced tea through their catering department. It's not even sold on grocery store shelves and it's one store, but they have the trademark for good to go iced tea. And so they sent a cease and desist and it's a different category of goods. So it didn't show up on my trademark searches. Um, but you know, I got some legal advice and long and short of it was I could have defended it, but it would have cost a lot of money and I don't want to be spending that kind of money on legal battles right off the gate. So um, it was kind of a, you know, my nickname is Kusa 
So my last name's Lamin Kusa. Everyone's been calling me Kusa for a long time. And I thought, well, actually, that's a really unique name. It's short. It's quick. It's easy to remember. It's kind of that it could become that Kleenex or Xerox of the world where it's the instant tea. People just call it Kusa tea. So when I, I kind of I have I have a lot of buyers that I know in this industry and I ran that by them and they said, well, actually, I like the name Kusa tea way better. <laughs> so it was like a blessing in disguise, really. Jim, most entrepreneurs go into business with a set of assumptions and many of those assumptions prove to be different from what they expected, thereby making them scramble to make changes in order to survive. Regarding Kusati's uniqueness, did your original assumption about that uniqueness prove motivating to consumers, or did you discover a slightly different selling proposition after being in business for a while and getting some customer feedback? So the original assumptions about the product use has been very similar to what my idea was for it. It's a great product for outdoors, for when you're busy, when you're on the go, but the flavors have been very different. So when you look at what uh, is most sold in grocery stores, you're looking at green and black tea are by far the biggest sellers. Well, I came out with a, a flavor of mango green tea that I thought would do well, but wouldn't wouldn't be the best seller. And it, it's now almost 40% of my sales is this one flavor. So. It just kind of goes to show you that once you don't really know what's going to be sold until you really get it into the market and consumers start tasting and buying it. So, Jim, let's get personal on a few topics. Many aspiring entrepreneurs don't know what they don't know before starting a business. They're sort of unconsciously incompetent in certain areas, not as fully prepared as they thought they should be or could be in starting a business. And obviously, you were in the industry before you started the company Kusa Tea. But before you started Kusa Tea, to what extent were your previous skills and knowledge in line with your task of launching a tea product? Let's say on a scale of 1 to 10, 10 being very aligned. How did your previous skills and knowledge fit with your new startup? I would say it was an 8, so pretty high. Like I've I've had a lot of experience in the food world and in the outdoor products industry. So I, I've, I've spoken with a lot of my consultants and they say it's really comforting to talk to someone who has been there and done that. I haven't owned companies in the past, but I have been the VP of sales and marketing for several other food and beverage companies as well as outdoor product companies. So I knew the lay of the land. I knew what retailers wanted, what the margins looked like. Um, where I, I do know that a lot of entrepreneurs enter this type of a world without ever, ever having done it before. And it, there can be a lot more bumps and bruises along the way. And Jim, even though you were in the food and beverage industry prior to starting Kusa Tea, now that you're an entrepreneur, what's the number one lesson that you've learned since starting your company? Yeah, I'd say the biggest issue that I've had has been, it sounds simple, but it's in the amount of boxes of tea that I put in a case. I originally went to the grocery store shelves and I said, oh, 10 boxes of my tea will fit on the shelf. So I'm going to put 10 boxes of tea in a case. And that's what the retailers will like. And I pretty quickly learned that they don't want such a large case size. That's one reason. And the second thing is that a lot of grocery retailers, they require what they call a free fill. So if you want to put your products on their shelves, the first order needs to be free for them. And so you're giving away the first order to them. And then over time, you repay that with all of you make money based on what is sold after that. But, um, you know, if you're giving and to them, they just want a free fill. They want one free case. It doesn't matter whether there's 10 in a case or two in a case. So I learned 
quickly that um, a six putting six boxes of tea in a case is the right amount for the grocery world. And so what that meant was uh, repacking boxes. You know, we were already packaged in 10 per case. And so I had to bring in a bunch of part-time staff to repack everything. Just tons of hours that were, and uh, environmental waste that's really needless. So huge learning experience, but luckily small enough that it's not a deal breaker. Jim, have you had any regrets since launching your business a lot of entrepreneurs, even very successful ones, have regrets in doing things wrong or incorrectly or early in their entrepreneurial journey. And I think those regrets can reveal valuable lessons to aspiring entrepreneurs. Since you started Kusa Tea, would you have approached the business differently if you could go back and do it over again? Yeah, of course. I mean, there's always learning. So I would say the biggest ones, I thought that um, looking at a product like Starbucks via instant coffee, it's nationally distributed, um, very well known, I would say. I thought that having an instant tea that is in the same type of packaging, it's just the tea version of it, would uh, consumers would really identify with it. They would get it. We wouldn't need to do as much sampling and demoing and awareness activities. And I, I learned after about four or five months that if I just put it on the shelf and expect consumers to find it, it doesn't sell or it sells very slowly. But locally, I would I do a lot of demos still personally at nighttime and go to stores. And when when I can explain the product, when people taste it, we sell like crazy. And so, you know, last year, my first year in business, I did a lot of trade shows around the country and trade shows are an enormous cost for any business, but especially for a small business. And a lot of the shops that I or, or retailers that I got from those trade shows that are outside of my core demographic and core region they're not selling the product very well. But here in the Rocky Mountain region, it's selling extremely well. So if I was to go back, I wouldn't have gone to those trade shows. I would have focused on local distribution, local sales, and grown from there. Were you referring to the Expo West trade show in Anaheim? No, that one's coming up in three weeks. So I, did, I am going to that one because my strategy now is Rocky Mountain region and California, getting those two regions selling really well and then grow from there. So with Expo West being in Anaheim, it makes total sense. The one that I was kind of referring to before, Expo East, which is in Baltimore, and it's in September, that one, you know, I would have, hindsight, I would say I shouldn't have gone to it. Jim, a lot of people talk about starting a business, but they never start one. Starting a business is pretty special and really quite unusual. What motivates a person like you, Jim Lamancusa? to stop just talking about launching a business and to actually go out and start a tea company? Do you think you're a creator at heart? Yeah, I am. And I, I guess I come from entrepreneurial genes that my grandfather owned a craft and floral business in Cleveland, Ohio, when I when he was my age. And then my father took over that company and my father and my mother started another company. So I kind of grew up in a world of entrepreneurs and I never really thought that it was that crazy. Um, and it actually became scarier for me when I started, when I came after college and started working for other companies here in Boulder and seeing what entrepreneurs, entrepreneurs went through. So, you know, I remember one of my former bosses, one of the owners of, um, eco products, you know, at one point in time, he had three mortgages on his home. So if the company hadn't gone well, it's like it would have taken everything that he owned 
And so those are pretty scary moments. You're like, wow, this is, you're really all in as an entrepreneur, which is exciting and scary at the same time. Jim, even though you were in the industry before you started Kusa did your success surprise you? Sure. Yeah, it's scary going into business for yourself. And uh, you think that the product's a great idea, but you you never really know how the consumers are going to take it until it's in the market. So I would say I am sometimes I'm surprised. It's like, wow, I um, like, for example, so REI, incredible store, they tend to go pretty slow when it comes to a new brand. They'll put you in, you know, they have 150 some stores. And as a new brand, they might put you in six or nine stores and see how you do. And if you do well, then the next year you grow to 30 stores and the next year you're in 75. And so it's kind of a long time to go nationwide. And they thought my product was innovative enough and tasted good enough that they just right out of the gate, they took me nationwide. So that was kind of surprising. Like, all right, that it's incentivizing and exciting. Like that not only do I think that it's good, but there's a, a nationally recognized retailer that believes the same thing. Jim, what has been your biggest joy since starting Kusa Tea, or what are you most proud of? I would say the biggest joy is working for myself, that I, um, I've i worked for some great bosses, I've worked for some challenging bosses, and what I've often found is everybody's got their own style of work. You know, Some people thrive early in the morning, and they come in at 5.30, and they'll crank out work until 3.30, and they're done. Or some people, they need to work 12 hours a day because they're just not as efficient with their time. Um, and I'm more of the type that I've, I get a lot done very quickly, but you get burned out quickly as well. And so that's been challenging working for individuals that might not have that same work ethic and style. And so it's just so fun to be able to, I work my butt off, uh, but it's not, it's not about somebody watching how long I'm sitting at my desk. I have the own, my own internal incentive for obviously making this successful that I'll do whatever it takes. But I also know when it's time to say, I'm tired, I'm not doing good work, I'm going to go home and recharge the batteries for tomorrow. On the flip side of the term joy, Jim, what have been your number one frustrations since starting your company? I would say getting turned down by retailers, (laughs) ones, especially ones that you think would be slam dunks when you start it. So example would be Whole Foods, Whole Foods Market, you know, the most well-known natural organic grocer in the country. And they used to be the, I would say, the testing ground for local startups. Uh, even back when I, I worked for a company called Good Belly, which makes a probiotic juice. And that was five or six years ago. And back then, when we would launch a new product, we were able to go to our local Whole Foods. And that local store was allowed and authorized to approve you as a local brand and you can get on shelf and you can do demos and prove yourself. And if it sells well, then maybe you can go talk to the regional buyer and they'll put you in the 30 stores in the Rocky Mountain region. And then if you do well there, you can go talk to Austin, which is where their headquarters is, and maybe they'll take you nationwide. So that used to be the trajectory with them, but they've since changed their entire buying process. They no longer allow uh, local stores to make buying decisions. And and they allow very little regional approval as well. So you're pretty much stuck going national right out of the gate, which for an, an unknown startup brand is is almost impossible. So that was a huge frustration for me because I thought that I would be able to build a lot of legitimacy and velocity for the brand in a retailer like Whole Foods. But, you know, they've changed quite a bit. So that was a huge frustration. 
Other frustrations is just like I mentioned before, going out um, to Expo East, getting a bunch of retailers, and then realizing pretty quickly that if I'm not supporting them with demos and promotions, it's not going to sell. So that's definitely demoralizing and kind of keeps you up at night. Like, wow, what is it going to take to get the brand selling on its own? Jim, along with your frustrations, have you experienced any self-doubt as you have gone along your entrepreneurial journey? Because even seasoned, successful entrepreneurs have experienced self-doubt. How much self-doubt have you had, if any, and how have you dealt with it? I would say there is a fair amount. It's kind of, it's weird. It's like a roller coaster ride. And I'm sure a lot of your guests say the same thing, that some days you're on a high and, and you feel like you can t- do anything in the world. And then you get a, an, a, an email where a good customer turns you down or says you're not selling well, and then you're in the dumps and there's a ton of self-doubt, like maybe I'm not going to be able to make this thing work. So in how dealing with it, I would say, honestly, my meditation practice does a lot of that, um, of just calming the mind and not letting your mind chase after emotions so much, which as entrepreneurs, we're constantly thinking and taking a daily meditation practice. It can give your mind a, a rest where you're you're not running after those emotions so quickly. Um, that's a huge thing. And, and taking a little time, going on the weekends and going skiing, going climbing, getting your mind off of it, it makes me charge to go back into the business where I know a lot of entrepreneurs sometimes don't have the time or energy or willingness to put it down, to take a day or two off on the weekend and recharge your batteries. Jim, do you think starting a business has changed you as a person? Yeah, I would say so. Uh, until you you always think you do as an employee, you think you know what the founder or the owner is going through, but um, you don't, I guess, is the quick, I didn't. And so now that I've actually started my own business, I have a lot more uh, empathy towards my previous bosses and owners of companies. What have you learned most about yourself since starting Kusa Tea? I would say I, I've learned very quickly what I like to do and what I don't, what I thrive on and what I don't do quite as well in a business. So I've pretty quickly realized that I need to get uh, specific accounting help because I don't do well at it and I don't enjoy it. And so I would rather pay somebody to make sure that's a very important function. Got to make sure your books are right. Um, I'd rather pay somebody to do that than doing it myself where I guess before I kind of thought that I could do all areas in the beginning and I realized that I'm just not good at some things. In contrast to that, what do you like to do? I love the sales and marketing aspects of companies. I I loved building the designing the packaging, uh, designing the color schemes. I I kind of designed the packaging to really stand out on the shelf and be super colorful and bright. Um, and very clean where you look at a lot of products on the tea aisle in a grocery store and that they're very busy, lots of pictures and images and words. And I, I made it to be very simple and it's gotten really good response from retailers. So I love that part of it. I love going out and making presentations to retailers and getting to know the buyer. Um, I love to do things personally with them. Like I'm, you know, we're in King Supers now and at, before Expo West in a couple of weeks, I'm going on a run with the buyer. Like we're, we're just going to go down to the beach and go for a run next to the ocean. Like that kind of stuff. It builds relationships that are much deeper than sitting in a conference room. Jim, who has influenced you the most in your life, either professionally or personally? 
oh man, you're going to get me in trouble because all my family are going to be listening to this. <laughs> <If I don't, laughs> yeah, right. Exactly. <laughs> if I don't say one of them or one than the other, um, that'll be challenging. So let me put this qualifier out there. So it, of course, my family members have helped me tremendously. And like I said, my entrepreneurial parents and grandparents have been huge supporters and I've learned a ton. Um, from a professional standpoint there, I worked for two CEOs, um, one at Eco Products named Steve Savage and one at Goodbelly, Alan Murray. And they've both been mentors for me as I've started this company. And they've just given me phenomenal advice and support that I couldn't have, I couldn't have done it without them. So I would say to listeners, it's like building those networks is incredibly important and keeping them strong. What I've, I, I've managed a lot of employees in the past and it, it never ceases to amaze me how few employees keep in touch with their former bosses until they need you for something. So they, you know, you get an email saying, will you be a reference for this job? But if you, I haven't talked to somebody in three or four years, I have no idea where they are in their life. And it, it does feel like they're, they're using you, I guess, which is fine. But it's uh, one of my suggestions I always make to people is to stay in touch with your network beyond when you need them for something. Because number one, you're, they're going to give you a lot more than just a job reference in the future if you do that. And number two, when, when an opportunity does come up or when they, you do need a reference, people are going to be a lot more authentic and excited to do it for you. So Jim, here we are in the Tell Me How segment of the podcast, where we aim to get to the heart of the matter regarding key issues for aspiring entrepreneurs. Jim, let's talk about raising capital. Did you originally raise capital for Kusa Tea? Sure. So um, I did what something that's called convertible debt. So it's um, getting a loan from individuals and you give them a certain percentage interest rate that compounds annually. And then you give them a discount off of when when I actually sell shares in the company, they'll get a discount off of the strike price. So I did uh, a round of convertible debt and that round was ma raised mainly from my network. So people that have been in Boulder in particular that knew me, knew the kind of work that I did and were willing to give give me some money uh, to see to make the company a reality. And so that kind of goes back to what we were talking about earlier of keeping your network strong because it's much easier to go to somebody with a business plan if you've been in contact with them you know, periodically, every quarter, every six months versus you haven't talked to him in four or five years and then you come asking for money. Jim, with the various options you have in raising money to start a business, why did you choose the one option that you chose? Um, I guess it was the easiest route. So um, it's very difficult, I would say, to actually raise, to sell shares in a company that doesn't have any revenue to date. So um, you're going to get pretty low valuation for an idea of a company versus now, you know, I wanted to do convertible debt because then in three years from now, the valuation of the company is going to be much higher than if I had raised stock and, and sold shares in the company right out of the gate. Jim, let's talk about manufacturing or producing your product. Do you manufacture your product yourself or did you go out and find a manufacturer produce it for you? The decision was relatively easy. It kind of goes back to what we were talking about earlier of recognizing your strengths. And I think that a lot of brands that do everything, manufacturing, sales, marketing, operations, all on their all together, it's it's harder for them because there's a lot more moving pieces. And so working with a company that already knows how to do it 
they can lower your costs and lower the stress level considerably. So I know that I'm good at the sales and marketing side when it comes to operations. That's not my particular skill set. And the technologies that I developed um, need to be done in a very specific way. And it was easier to find companies that already do something similar and have them do use my technology versus buying, you know, three million dollars worth of machinery on my own. Jim, given the fact that you have 21 patents for your product, how long did it take for you to develop the formula for the product? You know, it took us nine months to really optimize it, to get it to where we were running at scale and getting consistent quality. Um, so, you know, in the scheme of things, that's pretty quick, but it's still, it's, it's a long nine months when you're an entrepreneur trying to get it going. Do you have any key pieces of advice to find the right manufacturing partner? For sure, face-to-face -face is obviously critical. Um, I found uh, some of my partners through, there's a website, Alibaba, and so some of my production is done overseas. And so that was a great website to use to find different technologies and producers overseas that it's difficult to just do Google searches for those types of things. Um, yeah, I would say that's a great resource to use if people are looking for good partners. Jim, we know that you are in the industry before you launched Kusa Tea, but in terms of selling Kusa Tea to retailers, what were those first approaches like and was it different being the entrepreneur of the company as opposed to being an employee of another company? Yeah, I'd say it's more exciting when it's your own product, of course. And the founder telling a story is always going to be different than an, than an employee telling the story. But it uh, doesn't mean one's better than another. It just is, it can be different. So when I first, I guess my first retailers, I, I mentioned before that Whole Foods no longer takes local startups. But in the Boulder area where I'm based... Um, there's two two grocery store chains, Lucky's Markets and Alfalfa's, and they really thrive on local startups. So I just went and met with the grocery buyers from each of those stores, and they accepted it on the spot. They carved out a place on the shelf. I did the work myself. I went and I organized, reorganized their tea shelf and put my products up there with their approval, of course. Um, I, there's a couple great outdoor shops in Boulder that I went to, and again, just met with the buyer. They love the concept. Um, I think one of the things that's important if some of the listeners are in the food and beverage space is that you have to you can't just present product and put it on the shelf and think it's going to sell. The buyers also want to hear what are you going to do from a marketing perspective to drive consumers to actually pick it up and and buy it and put it in their shopping cart. And Jim, in terms of selling and marketing your product to retailers, have you been working with independent brokers and or distributors? And how easy has that been? And how have you changed your approach, if at all, working with those other parties? Yep. So in the beginning, no, because well, any broker that you talk to, it, they want um, either you to have some revenue already, or they're going to ask for a pretty high retainer fee. And I wanted to avoid... I guess they're high retainers because I'm able to do a lot of the sales work myself. Um, I did about three months ago, I hired what's called a master broker. So it's really an outsourced VP of sales who knows a bunch of brokers, knows a lot of uh, corporate contacts in the retailers that I might not have kept in contact with. So I did hire him and he's been a fantastic hire, very easy to work with. Um, and he's helped quite a bit. We're now in, as far as distribution, Distribution doesn't want to work with you either until you have enough customers that they see that there's going to be a good amount of turns in their warehouse. So 
I wasn't in distribution. We're literally shipping our first order to the largest organic and natural distributor named UNFI. We're literally shipping it this week. So now we will be. Jim, let's talk about pricing your product. A lot of new entrepreneurs make mistakes in choosing the price for their product and they don't get the profit margins that they need or they don't get the traction because their prices are too high. How did you go about setting the price for your product and do you have any key advice for pricing your product when you launch? Well, there's kind of you have to come at it from both angles. First, you have to look and see what are similar products being sold for on the shelf. So I looked at it and my points of comparison was Starbucks Via is a dollar a serving. Um, premium teas are about like a tea bag. Um, a, a really organic premium tea bag is anywhere between 50 and 75 cents. And then I had to look at it from the cost of goods standpoint and said, what are my cost of goods? And then whatever your cost of goods ends up being, you basically have to multiply it times five to get to what a healthy margin will be um, for a retail selling price. So let's just say your cost of goods is a buck a serving. Um, your retail price needs to be $5. And that will give you enough margin, the distributors enough margin, and the retailers enough margin to be healthy. And so once you have those two points of comparison, you got to look at them and say, well, it can is the retail price that I need to sell at in order to make margin, is that acceptable to the market? And if it's not, then you, it's probably something, a business that you shouldn't move forward with. Or at least you need to have a window to say, look, in, in when I get to a certain volume, my cost of goods will be, you know, X and that will be healthy margins for the whole system. Jim, let's continue the conversation on marketing your business or more specifically, creating awareness and demand. As you know, most startups have very small marketing budgets. How did you or how are you creating consumer awareness and demand for your product? I've always said that it's much easier to get the product in the store than to have consumers buy the product off the shelf once they're in the store. Yep. You hit the nail on the head. So there's, I would say there's three tiers to that stool. One is demos. And I'd say any entrepreneur, you better suck it up and be doing demos in the evenings yourself because you're going to sell more product than anybody else, first of all. But it also gives you some really amazing touch points with your customers. So, you know, for the first six months, I would spend three nights a week doing demos. And then, and now I have two staff members that are doing demos so I've increased it, but I still do them myself as well. And the second thing is promotional activity. So having, you know, those little yellow tags at grocery stores that tell you that it's on deal two for five or it's three dollars off, whatever. Those are critical and they do they do drive buying decisions for people. So at retailers like me, King Supers, they're a grocery store here in Colorado. Every other month I'm on deal. And so when I talked before about the margins you need to be healthy, Part of the reason why you need whatever your cost of goods is and you should charge five times that amount, part of what, what's in that equation is um, building in some discounts for your retailers so that you can be uh, on sale. And don't, don't be afraid either to ask your retailer to go in with you. So if you give a dollar off per serving or per box, the retailer may chip in 50 cents and they would lower their margins um, to help you get to a better price. And then the third thing is PR. So Fire, uh, finding and hiring a really good um, public relations company that can get you in the news, whether it's online blogs um, or in print, 
it's amazing. When we were in the Wall Street Journal about three weeks ago, and sales went through the roof. <laughs> so it's it's incredible to get in some of those national national publications, if you can. Finally, Jim, did I miss any questions that you feel like you'd like to provide answers to? Or do you have any closing pieces of advice for our aspiring entrepreneur listeners? You didn't miss anything. It's pretty, did a great job. I would say um, advice is get ready for the roller coaster ride. And I think a lot of people talk about that, but you have to figure out ways to stay motivated yourself when there are those downtimes. And um, it, whether it's meditation, whether it's going for a run, going out to dinner with your wife, um, it, if you don't have those, like everybody else is going to feed off the energy of the entrepreneur. So I have to constantly remind myself that, you know, no matter what's going on, you got to put on a happy face or figure out how to get back to a happy face. That doesn't mean not being honest um, if things aren't going well, but it's, you know, negative energy is never going to create anything. Jim, that's a great way to close. You've been a fantastic guest offering some great stories and advice to our aspiring entrepreneur listeners. Congratulations on your success for your entrepreneurial courage and sharing your experiences with us today. Thanks, John. It's been great to be here. Well, you've just listened to another episode of Product Launch Rebel featuring John Benzik of Venture Superfly. To download episodes of previous shows or for other entrepreneur-related resources, visit VentureSuperfly.com. Be sure to like Venture Superfly on Facebook, follow us on Twitter, and subscribe to Product Launch Rebel in iTunes. Join us for our next Product Launch Rebel episode, where we'll continue to reveal insider tips on how to launch and grow your physical product-based business. <laughs>